Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I'm reading today from a book entitled simply Proverbs. It's not the one by Solomon, but the commentary on the book of Proverbs by Charles Bridges. He was a leader of the Evangelical Party in the Church of England. He died in 1869. We've gotten to Proverbs and the book chapter 3. And we're looking at verse 17. We went halfway through last time. Let's pick up the other half now. You have to read along in your Bible. I won't be reading the Bible verses necessarily. So have your Bible open to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 17. What are we to say of her ways? Is wisdom a sullen matron who entertains her followers only with sighs and tears? Does this mean that to gain the joys of the next life, we must bid eternal farewell to the benefits of this life? Is it true that we must never more expect a cheerful hour, a clear day, a a bright thought to shine upon us? As Bishop Hopkins once said, well, this is the world's creed. It's a slander from the great liar. In this way, we are opposed as we try to follow wisdom's ways. They are pleasant ways because they have been decreed by the Lord. And if we do not find them pleasant, we do not know them. The man of pleasure utterly mistakes both his object and his pursuit. The only happiness worth seeking is found here in this proverb. This happiness lives through all circumstances and copes with all the endless changes of this mortal life. The ways may be dark and lonely, but how the sunshine of reconciliation shines on them. Every step is given light from above and showered with heavenly promises. They are steps in happiness and steps in heaven. Wisdom's work is her own reward. This life is strict, but it is not imprisonment. And so the sacrifices of love should be pleasant. When the heart is free, the journey is not burdensome. We should go beyond saying that these ways are consistent with being pleasant. They are the basic principles of the most elevated pleasure. The verdict of Christ, says Dr. South, makes the discipline of self-denial and the cross, those terrible blows to flesh and blood, the indispensable requisite to being his disciples. And yet, paradoxical as it may appear, in this deep gloom is the sunshine of glory. For if we are naturally God's enemies, we must also be our own worst enemy, and so we'll never be happy. Our pleasure, therefore, must be to deny, not to indulge ourselves. We must put to death our sinful appetites, which only end in death. Even what may be called the austerities of godliness are more enjoyable than the pleasures of sin. It is far better to annoy the will than to wound the conscience. Christ's chains are glorious. Moses did not endure his reproach as if it were a a trial. Our principles are never more consoling than when we are making a sacrifice for them. Hannah gave up her dearest earthly joy. But did she shrink under the trial? Did she begrudge the sacrifice? No. When Hannah prayed, she rejoiced in the Lord, 1 Samuel 1. And as if to demonstrate that no one serves God for nothing, for the one child Hannah gave to God, five more were given to her. In fact, 
those in the world have no conception about the real nature of wisdom's pleasant ways. To them, religion is associated with cold, heartless forms and irritating restraints, where there is much to do but little to enjoy. But they only see half the picture. They see what religion takes away, but they do not see what it gives. They cannot comprehend that while it denies sinful pleasures, it overflows with spiritual pleasures. Verse 18. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. The glory, beauty, and fruitfulness of wisdom, the paradise of God alone, furnish the full counterpart to life apart from God. Revelation 2.7, the tree of life was the means ordained of God for the preservation of lasting life and continual vigor and health before man sinned. And so true wisdom maintains man in the spiritual life of God's grace and the communion of his spirit. That's from Bishop Sanderson. Once our way was barred and nobody could touch wisdom, now our way is open to her in a better paradise. We sit under her shadow in great delight. For what is so refreshing as fellowship with God, access to him, boldness in his presence, and admission to his most holy delights. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. The promises are to those who overcome. God honors perseverance in the weakest saint. This lovely description of wisdom's blessing is no fanciful picture but a divine reality. Do not rest until your heart is filled with it. Pray to the Lord about this. Before long you will rejoice in experiencing it. Verse 19, we have noted wisdom in human lives with all its enriching blessings. Now we see its majesty as it is displayed in all of God's works. Hereby he shows, says the Reformer's notes, that this wisdom that he speaks about was everlasting because it was before all creatures and all things, even the whole world, were made by it. The earth's foundations are so sure that they cannot be moved. Note how this great architect set the heavens in place, arranging their bright lights in their various orbits. Such a glorious canopy is set with such sparkling diamonds. That was from Leighton. Verse 20. The universe is a parable, a mirror of the gospel. The manifestation of these divine acts in the field of creation opens a rich provision for our happiness. So, in an even greater way, the glorious demonstration of the great work of God's redemption fills us with adoring praise. That which moves God to work is goodness. That which orders his work is wisdom. That which completes his work is power. All things which God in these times and seasons has brought forth, were eternally and before all time in God, as a work unbegun is in the artificer, which later is brought into being. Therefore, whatever we do behold now in the book of eternal wisdom are held in the hands of omnipotent power, the first foundations of the earth being as yet unlaid. And so all things that God has made are in that respect the offspring of God. They are in him as effects 
in their highest cause. He likewise is actually in them. The assistance and influence of his deity is their life. Verse 21. Again, we listen to wisdom's voice. Her repetitions are not vain repetitions, but need to be impressed on young people. They should be your much-loved treasure and your daily guide, so do not let them out of your sight. God's teaching is sound judgment, full of light and substance. Keep it so that you may have discernment in everything you do. Skipping to verse 23. Keeping one's eye constantly on the word of God prevents one's feet from slipping. When the psalmist did not pay attention to wisdom's words, he nearly fell. 24. The hours during which we are asleep, no less than our waking hours, are divinely guarded. God's servants enjoy a childlike repose, sleeping in the Father's care without any fear. When Peter was in prison, in chains, between two soldiers, on the eve of his expected execution, when there seemed but a step between him and death, he was able to lie down and not be afraid. 25. Sudden disaster may come, but we are to have no fear. It is the wicked who will be ruined. 26. Child of God, run with confidence, for God will keep you safe and your foot will not be snared. Noah found this security when all the ungodly were drowned. Lot found this safety when Sodom was destroyed. Luther sang his song of confidence. God is our strength and refuge. 27. The wise man comes now to some practical points. He shows that the result of selfishness is to withhold good. This dishonesty takes many forms in borrowing without making a repayment, evading paying taxes, keeping back wages due to employees. But this instruction is deeper than this. Even if we are not legally indebted to anyone, we have an outstanding debt to love one another. Even the poor person is bound by this universal law to his poorer neighbor. Everyone has a claim on our love. Every opportunity to do good is our calling to do so. Kindness is not an option but an obligation. It is an act of justice, no less than an act of mercy. If we withhold it, that will be to our eternal condemnation. 28. Christian kindness will also be carried out in the most loving way. Delay is an offense against the law of love. Too often the cold rebuttal, uh, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, is just a cover for selfishness. There is a hidden hope that the, the matter will be forgotten or dropped or taken up by somebody else. When you have it now with you, a little given in time of need is more than a larger amount when the needy moment has passed. We should cultivate the habit of being sensitive to the needs of others, putting ourselves in their place. We should not only do good, but be prepared to do good. The gospel presents every neighbor to us as a brother or sister who needs our help, who is to be loved and cared for in the same way that we look after ourselves. Why are we so slow to acknowledge this? May the Lord deliver us from our selfishness and mold us to his own image of love and mercy. 
Was ever the hungry fed or the naked clothed with good looks or fair speeches? These are but thin garments, says Dr. South, to keep out the cold, and but a slender repast to conjure down the rage of craving appetite. My enemy, perhaps, is is ready to starve, and I tell him that I am heartily glad to see him and very ready to serve him. But still my hand is closed and my purse is shut. I neither bring him to my table or lodge him under my roof. He asks for bread, and I give him a compliment, a thing indeed not so hard as a stone, but altogether as dry. I treat him as an outsider, and lastly, at parting with all the ceremonial clearness and dearness, I I shake him by the hand, but put nothing into it. I play with his distress and dally with what was not to be dallied with, want and misery and a clamorous necessity. Again, that's all from Dr. South. Verse 29. The command not to withhold good is naturally followed by the instruction not to plot harm against your neighbor. This treachery was a scandal even among the godless. It is generally abhorred by the world and should be doubly hated by a godly man. With the latter, everything should be as clear and open as the day. A harmful plot against your neighbor is a serious sin. This is the kind of wisdom that comes from the devil. Such was the cunning of Jacob's sons against the unsuspecting Shechemites. Saul's malice against David when he was under the king's protection. Joab's murder of Abner and Amasa. And Ishmael's murder of Gedaliah. This was part of the bitter cup of suffering our Savior drank. Many a wounded spirit has been cheered with our Lord's poignant sorrow. Verse 30. We must not only guard against secret malice, but against accusing a man for no reason. We must beware of becoming involved in quarrels instead of pursuing peace. A spirit of strife is a great hindrance to holiness and is inconsistent for any of God's servants. Irritable people are always strongly insisting on their own rights or what they imagine is due to them from other people. How we need to earnestly seek to have Christ's own meek and loving spirit. O Lord, pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of charity, the very bond of peace and of all virtues, without which whosoever liveth is counted dead before thee. Verse 31. What we may ask is is there to envy in a violent man. The love of power is a ruling passion, but we have little reason to envy such a man, let alone choose any of his ways. Verse 32, can anyone be happy when he deliberately contradicts God's will? For he who hateth nothing that he hath made abhors those who have thus marred themselves. They are not only abominable, but the Lord detests the sight of them, says the Reformer's notes. Sinners are detested by the Lord. Saints are his delight. Poole says they are God's friends to whom he gives as men used to do their friends, his mind and counsels or his secret favor and comforts to which other men are strangers. Diodati says he loves them dearly as his intimate friends to whom he communicates the very secrets of his heart. End of quote. Is it not infinitely more worthwhile to live with God in heaven 
than in all the vain pomp of this ungodly world? Verse 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. The contrast between the wicked and the righteous does not just affect us as individuals, but as families. The curse or the blessing of the Lord allows us and follows us to our homes. Many modest cottages that are lived in by a child of Abraham shine more splendidly than the princely palaces of the ungodly, for heirs of glory live there. A family altar of prayer and praise consecrates it as the temple of Jehovah. Promises like clouds of blessings rest over it. God has been honored, and God will honor it. Is my house under the Lord's curse? Or under his blessing. Verse 34. He mocks proud mockers. But gives grace to the humble. God's mind. Is never more fully declared. Than it is against pride. And proud mockers. Such behavior displeases man. And would if it were possible. Disturb God himself. God hates the sinner who refuses to submit himself. To his righteousness. And who mocks the cornerstone of salvation. How dreadfully this becomes a rock of offense for the eternal ruin of the sinner. Proud mockers will not escape God's frown. A humble spirit, a deep conviction of utter nothingness and guilt is is a most adorning grace. Nor is it an occasional or temporary feeling, the result of some unexpected disclosure, but a habit that clothes a person from head to toe. It combines the highest elevation of joy with the deepest abasement of spirit. Leighton says, God pours his grace plentifully upon humble hearts. His sweet dews and showers of grace slide off the mountains of pride and fall on the low valleys of humble hearts and make them pleasant and fertile. But the soul that swells with pride has no room for God's humbling grace. Verse 35, The wise inherit honor, but fools... He holds up to shame. This is the last contrast made to restrain our envy of the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 31. Self-knowledge, the principle of lowliness, is the essence of wisdom. Fools will discover the vanity of this world's glory when it is too late to make a wise choice. Shame is their present fruit. Honor even now sits uneasily on the wise. How solemn and complete will be the great separation in eternity. Amen. Amen. Charles Bridges, Proverbs. We'll keep revisiting that as the Lord provides. Thank you so much for being with us today. As always, we honor your company and need it. Without you, we would not have anyone to talk to. Look around the site, will you? We have over 3,500 audios, and it climbs daily, as you see. Featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. And if you want more than that, just consider buying one of my books at Amazon.com or contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and I'll share details of our Saturday evening Zoom meeting for men. It's at 6 o'clock Central Time, USA. And our Tuesday noon meeting... Uh, for men and women. 
Uh, I believe it's, it's noon and it's Zoom at the same time. I hope that you will check these things out and, and give me a, an email to, to let me get you started on that process. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 2nd of February, uh, 2023. And Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.